Do you want to be inspired by other brilliant business owners? Find out how and why they set their brilliant businesses up. Discover some of the triumphs and struggles they face along the way. If so, then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Brilliant Businesses Podcast. We interview business owners to find out their story and journey as to how they set their businesses up. We believe that story is an important way of making their businesses shine, and we share those stories on this podcast. Keep building those brilliant businesses. So good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to a Brilliant Businesses podcast. My name is Nick Bryant, and I'm here today with Matt Cox. Hello, Matt. Hi there. How, How are, are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Good. I didn't introduce you where you're from. You're from the, Chox, the Charles Cox Group. That was a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you are a specialist in leasehold property management and surveying services. Um, Matt's been in the property sector for, I think, 20 years. Is it 20 years? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah about 2003, four, something right. like that. Okay. Yeah. So you've seen a few changes over the while, yes. I'm sure. <laughs> so tell us how it all came about, Matt. Tell us how it all started. Okay. So um, with the leasehold stuff, so basically I was a leaseholder. I owned a, a property in a block of flats um, yeah. <clears throat> in Peacehaven. And what was happening is the freeholder was kind of putting up scaffold, repairing something and then putting the scaffold back down. And then yeah. a week later, they put it back up again. And we thought, as a leaseholder, you have to pay for that, essentially. So yeah. this isn't particularly productive use of our money and we're not really in control of it. So um, family members of mine, they also owned uh, property in the same building. So we kind of clubbed together with the other leaseholders and we basically purchased the freehold from the freeholder. Okay. Um, the posh word is enfranchised. So we, we basically collectively enfranchised. Okay. And we decided to run the building ourselves. Um, ironically, the person that helped us enfranchise actually became a, a business partner of mine oh, really? later on, <laughs> which we'll come on to. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he, he sort of said, do you want to manage an agent? And we said, no, we'll do it ourselves as we've done so much. So we took it to heart, really, okay. uh, myself and the other family members, that um, we really should understand the legislation and the rest of it. But I, I suppose the the breaking point was actually we were offered a business to buy, um, yeah. which only had about uh, 10 or so uh, block management properties from right. somebody else who'd purchased a business and it had a small portfolio because we knew and understood the legislation. So then what happened was that they basically said, right, you buy that and you run that. And we thought, well, that's fine because we understand it. And what's the point in having all the knowledge and only doing one building? Yeah, uh, We did that. Um, the other people, that family members that I was involved with, kind of got a bit sick of um, the leaseholders and, and whinging and, okay. and all the moaning about happen. repairs yeah. not being done. Um, and at the time I was uh, at university and they wanted me to buy them out, basically buy the company and buy them out because they were commercial people and okay. they're not used to kind of dealing with the public, if I'm honest. That's probably yeah. why they yeah. run out of uh, patience on it. <laughs> um, but I wasn't in a position to do that because I wanted to finish my degree. So I actually went to a firm in Lewis called Clifford Dan. Okay. Um, and we sold the whole business to that and I went to work for them. I worked my way up as a partner. Clifford Dan is actually where Andrew, who helped us do the enfranchise, he worked there. So that's oh, okay. the sort of connection there. Yeah. Andrew actually left and went on to do his own thing. 
Um, so yeah, I did that. I made a partner there, and then I actually packed up and uh, decided to concentrate solely on my own stuff um, to, in 2015. Um, yeah. Although Charles Cox was formed in 2010, because we had some kind of portfolios like this original one okay. that we didn't merge with uh, with Clifford Dan, and we carried on managing it ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the, and the rest is kind of history, really. Yeah. So it started with me being on my own in a in a, actually we're in an office uh, in Seaford. Uh, a little pokey one and then yeah. we moved and we've been in this place now since 2018 and yeah. we've now got three offices one in Eastbourne New Haven and Brighton yeah. so yeah, I mean, we're talking in a bit, but we, we spoke earlier about the growth and how you've handled the growth because you've really shot up to how many people did you say you have now? It's sixteen. Sixteen, yeah, yeah from from that amount. Um, so Charles Cox Group, it's sort of um, you're called Matt. Um, is Charles? I thought it was your dad because you said I said to you about it earlier, and you said no, but that's something else. So yeah, tell yeah. us the story behind that. So uh, yeah, as I, as I said earlier, my dad's uh, name is Bob actually. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing to do with Charles. Yeah, um, yeah so. Yeah, basically, I made a conscious decision that um, I would call it Charles Cox because that's my middle name, Charles. And it kind of rolls off the tongue a bit better than, yeah. say, like Matt Cox, for instance. And I thought it sounded more established. It also helped me a bit when I was just a one-man band, essentially, mm. and I was ringing up to pitch for buildings or work or whatever. And I'm not kind of saying it's Matt Cox from Matt Cox Management because yeah. that sounds you know a bit like you are quite small so mm. and I would purposely not say my surname as well so I'd be like oh it's, hello it's it, Matthew from Charles Cox so then they might yeah. think I have a different surname and yeah. we were bigger than we were um, and the logo I really liked it because I thought it was quite simple and it was synonymous with what I wanted to achieve really from that so the two yeah. C's um, they're yeah. supposed to be like two hands kind of shaking okay. essentially like we'll work with you and that's yeah. what we're here for um, and then Charles Cox sounded like much more established than perhaps it otherwise was at the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, I made a, a conscious story. decision to do that. Um, obviously, people always think that it's my dad or my <laughs> uncle. <Yeah. laughs> um, I've known of other businesses that have done the same thing, and it works really effectively. It's very strategic, yeah. actually. And um, yeah. Well, I, I one of the things I studied at uni was um, to do with this marketing uh, arrangement and business studies. And um, James Kahn, who was one of the Dragons yeah. Dens, his business was called alexander man mm. and it's for the same reason he didn't use his own name and he was like alexander that sounded like a british you know name and then man was like a short powerful yeah. word and and nothing to do with him but it allowed him to do the same thing so yes. pro probably a bit of inspiration yeah well it's not a bad guy to get inspired by is <laughs> no, it he's no. quite a successful man <laughs> Um, let, let's move on to the, the, the services that you offer. So let's talk about block management start, to start off with. So why why should someone use a block management agent? Yeah, so um, most blocks of flats in the UK, um, they have a lease, and that's really how people should act. So you have your kind of freeholder and your leaseholder. Yeah. Uh, the freeholder is responsible for X, Y, Z, and then the leaseholder is responsible for paying for it. That's kind of it as a much Simplifies more long, it. Yeah. <laughs> longer explanation, but yeah. that, that's it in a nutshell. Okay. Um, and the problem is, is that um, when you've got an enfranchised building, particularly, is that people live in that building and they might um, have to do debt collection from their fellow leaseholders. Uh, they might disagree with the terms of the lease and so on. And it's very useful having a managing agent as a third party okay. to, to act in that skill. Yeah. But also, we're bringing our professional, uh, you know, experience to the building, and we're also uh, understand the way the leases are written and so on because they are written in such a language that kind of interpretation is 
is is key in it. Yeah, um, yeah. And and we can really steer people through all the legislation. A lot of it's changed since Grenville with the yes, fires said, and so yeah. on. Um, and even asbestos, Legionella, all the other various reports, electrical testing as well. That's all changed since I was involved in kind of two thousand three four yeah. originally. Um, yeah. So I, I think. Whilst there are a lot of buildings that self-manage and they do that really successfully, when you get to a certain size, maybe a kind of about eight flats, you're mm. filled with people with opinions and views on things. And mm. it's not very nice going up in the lift with the guy that you're also suing for <laughs> non-payment of service charge. No, <laughs> no it's it, nice it's, to have that third party, isn't it? It's good to be able to use this almost like a shield, to be honest. Mm. And my old boss of the previous job, um, he used to say the buildings are easy, it's the people in them that's of hard. And so there is a massive amount of people management yeah. and manage expectations opinions and views and so on and yeah. buildings are all different some are high-end class some are first-time buyers some are buy-to-let landlords you know yeah. very different yeah um, so this is where the the survey inside comes in because you've got to survey the building as well make sure it's all up to scratch yeah, yeah. so obviously you if you take your kind of a medium rise block of flats so it's a block of 15 or something mm. one thing that we we would advocate people do is have a kind of one to five year maintenance plan okay. and that would also run alongside whatever's in the lease so the lease might say it needs painting and decorating every seven years yep. but we would build that into their plan so they actually have the money in the pot to do that when right. we get around to that seventh year mm. obviously they're guesstimates so you know sometimes there's a shortfall or maybe we've budgeted too much yeah um but yeah, the surveying department will do that. They'll also do things like um, they'll come around and they'll uh, measure, fully measure the building and work out what the rebuild cost is. So if there All was right. a, a fire and it was completely destroyed, so you're insuring uh, for the correct amount. So you're not under-insuring or over-insuring. Okay. Um, and we'll also do things like damp defect liability, that sort of thing, inherent defects. So you might have like a gutter that's leaking or the cavity or there's some sort of issue going on with the building where there's a defect. Effect. And yeah. the builder can't just be asked to go and fix it because yeah. they may may not understand the uh, sort of technical details, or they might do it and then no one's supervising them, so you're yeah. kind of taking their word for it. So the building mm. surveyors will go around and they'll basically look at the job and go, right, this is what needs to happen, yeah. and then make sure that that does happen. So, right. Okay. And they they do like you know probably seven years worth of training from start to finish to right. get their um, RICS memberships. So. Okay. And how many of those have you got in your team? Uh, so we have eight of those. Right, um, okay, right. And <laughs> they're all um, freelance consultants because that kind of industry lends themselves to that. Right. So yeah. the 16 odd <laughs> people that we referred to earlier actually pay YE staff, whereas the uh, freelancers, um, the surveyors tend to sort of work on that basis right. really because they, right. they will have other clients and so on. Yeah, and that makes it flexible um, for you as well, I guess. It massively yeah. does. And yeah. of course, in our industry, speed is often the king sure, yeah. because um, people don't tend to mind too much if it's costing 50 or 60 pound because it's being divided by say 12 or more flats yeah. so it's pence to them but actually it's more important that something gets done quickly and promptly mm. um so like often you get communal bins and people dump stuff in there then the bin men won't take it <laughs> away so we have like probably 12 rubbish removal people that we can access at any right, moment okay. and it's the speed of doing it otherwise it all just racks up and so on yeah so. and also they the the tenant always going to complain to someone and then the, the block management company gets it in the neck because you're meant to be looking after it and all that kind of 
exactly exactly yeah, that, yeah. yeah. And, then, yeah. and then it creates more work for us as well because yeah. we're getting more phone calls so yeah. yeah speed is speed is king which is <laughs> why we uh, tend to um you know try and make sure we have a diverse uh, yeah. access to, to contractors and sub uh, consultants okay okay let's we spoke earlier about um the the future and the growth that you've you've you know you've enjoyed um a lot of that growth came after covid didn't it from what you're saying earlier so how did you cope with that i mean there's a lot of people that you know you've got to manage and help and yeah so um interestingly i know there'll be a lot of businesses out there that really struggle through covid but um i would owe a lot to technology and some of the it support that we had and various things that we had in place which are akin to uh, a newer business you don't have all these legacy issues so one thing was was when the pandemic hit, everybody went to work from home, and we were on the OneDrive already. We were all, right. Yeah. We all had remote laptops. Mm. Our telephones were always VoIP already, so we just literally plugged them in at home, and we still had all our staff working. We didn't furlough anybody. We we basically just had a full system going, so it was like we were still open. Yeah. Right. Most of our competitors had furloughed their workers and they were already only running an out-of-hours service. So at the time, I didn't realise this, but actually that led to a lot of people jumping ship and coming to us yeah. and saying, look, we're you know, they're still citing COVID issues, you know, 18 months after the first lockdown and yeah. so on and, and backlogs. And, and yeah, we've had our fair share of problems. I'm not going sure. <laughs> yeah. to say we didn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's been an exciting time and, and definitely because of where we were positioned, I think we really managed to capitalise on that. It sounds like it, yeah. It's like you kept going full speed ahead and everyone else was stopping, so you were ahead of the game for when it gathers momentum again. I that's guess. it, yeah, yeah. That, that's basically it. Mm. And I, I'm quite a workaholic, if I'm honest. So <laughs> um, the lockdown was strange for me because I didn't know where it's where the work started and finished. So, yeah. And I'm sure that probably helped a bit, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, technology was was a massive game changer for us. Just being in the right place um, when yeah. that happened, um, and not, you know, well, it sounds like you digitalized a lot of things, and that yeah. that was important in that period, wasn't it? Because the human touch was out. So exactly yeah. that. I mean, yeah. if you take the firm I left um, <clears throat> when I left there, I don't know if they moved on, but they mm. would have had like analog phones still plugged into yeah. the wall on a cable. So. Yeah they probably would have done a lot of what our competitors did, which was just divert all phones to one line and then someone sat in a room answering it, yeah. basically saying we're dealing with emergencies only. Whereas yeah. we were like, well, if we can get someone to go there, that's fine. Cleaners are still working. Contractors still need to repair leaky roofs yeah. just because we're all locked down. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was quite advantageous to us having all of the access to that. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, now, let's, that's just not this. There's other bits to the business as well. Um, the The doing up the properties side of things i've yep. said that in layman's terms <laughs> tell us because you're you're excited about that and you yeah, like that part of it everybody, everybody loves that i'm yeah. quite famous for uh, <laughs> sort of saying if you open the door and it smells of cat weed think of me <laughs> <laughs> um that's one of my strap lines but, yes but basically um that sort of stems from um a, a kind of a want if you like to sort of um make sure that we had income that was sustainable and maybe passive outside of our um actual normal salary if you like yeah. back in the day so yeah. probably i mean 2010 after the last um well after the financial crash and i'll say the last one hopefully there won't be another one no <laughs> um so after the financial crash obviously properties did dip in price and i was just in a position where we managed to pick up something quite cheap um right. and it really needed a lot of work on it um it's the original cat wee smelly property it, yeah. um and yeah the business model was 
brilliant. Like I bought it, did it up, we refinanced it, got most of our money back out of it, and then we had an income. Yeah, right. Obviously, after tax and mortgage, we were about £300 a month better off. And Excellent. I just thought, this is a really good system. Yeah. But it is quite slow because you've got to obviously build up a pot of money and the rest of it so the mm. key is to make sure that you're buying it kind of under market value because it needs work doing to it yeah doing the work and then refinancing it so you get your money back out and otherwise you've got one. to keep building it so yeah. we don't really look for mint condition properties or mm. we call them turnkey like turn a key and sit down okay yeah um yeah we're more looking for dilapidated or unloved or distressed or whatever whether that's a short lease from a leasehold property or okay. something that needs some work it's got subsidence or just is really out of date and and not really rental ready okay so if there's anyone out there that's got anything like that, get in touch, right? Yeah, def- definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not like your kind of typical sort of um, we buy cash, we buy houses no, for cash type no, people. No. We will always try and come up with a creative way of solving the problem as to why that person's got there. For example, um, just around the corner from here, we had yep. one uh, property where um, the lady had um, basically been inherited money and she had bought the property, tried to do it up herself, made it almost unmortgageable in trying to do it and then running out of money and kind of just wanted to sell the property and then move on and and be somewhere nice and and, and not kind of waste her inheritance, if Mm. you like, because she felt a bit like she'd wasted some of it. In the process, she'd wrapped up some debt as well. And her goal was basically sell it for X, Y, Z, but I need to clear my debt. So it really wasn't worth what she wanted to sell it for and obviously the debt needed to be cleared so we mm. came up with a creative way of kind of helping her so i would take control of the debt and pay that down and then we would pay a discounted rate so then okay. what she got was actually moved into a property that didn't need any work so she can get on with her life and she didn't have the debt but for us we've paid under market value we've taken off the debt from her yeah everybody's happy and, and that's it so it's not about kind of coming in and going oh that's our price we'll pay for it no. and here's a cash offer no um it was very much you know Working let's try and do some creative financing here and see if we can um help you out as much as ourselves you yeah. know it's a business model to us but i don't want you to kind of feel like we've sort of screwed you over essentially yeah um, and you work a lot with the council as well, housing people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So our kind of business model at the moment is to buy these dilapidated properties, uh, make them nice again, yeah. um, how, whatever that means to do. And yeah. then we work with Brighton & Hove uh, Council. Um, they have a department in there that basically caters for people that have fallen on hard times for right. no reason of their own. Um We've got a guy that was um, in the UK with his wife and then she just up sticks and went to Nigeria and mm. left him in the UK with two kids. Mm. I'm sure there's more to the story than, than that, but um, that's where he was at. And on, in order to get himself back you know, straight again, mm. he needed the council's help. But a lot of people won't take that sort of person because obviously the council are paying the deposits and the rest of it. But mm. we, we work exclusively with them and... The first time I came across this, I had a flat in in Peacehaven and they said, oh, we've got a few viewings. And I turned up and I was running a bit late and I couldn't get up the communal stairwell for all the people (laughs) queuing to get into the flat. And it just made me my heart drop, really. These Mm. people are, you know, one a lady and a a guy and she was pregnant. um, They lost their home because the owner of the home was getting divorced. And part of the divorce settlement was they had to sell the home. So no fault of their own. But because of 
you know bad credit or whatever reason they couldn't rent through the normal system so yeah. the council do all of the deposit and all of the uh inventory and all the rest of it and so it's quite cost effective for us but yeah. actually you feel like you're giving something back yeah and that scenario where i'm in the stairwell with the 15 people yeah so that just made me want to, to sort help and buy more and, and yeah. sort those uh, you know help those people out really and get them back on their feet yeah it's giving back in it which is really mm. important for businesses as well rather than just you know begging profit um so you're based here in new haven yeah um how far do you go out to is there yeah. a, a circumference of something? Yeah, so our primary area is Eastbourne to Brighton yeah. and then up to kind of Burgess Hill, Haywards Heath area. That's our kind of core. Okay. And um, we go up to London and yep. across to Hastings okay. and down to Littlehampton. That's okay. our kind of ma- main sort of area, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we have uh, an office in Eastbourne. Yeah. Uh, we have an office in New Haven and Brighton. Okay. Um, some of those are born of our expansion. So we've acquired other companies and they've been more based in those towns. Yeah. So we've then decided to open offices there. And then obviously kind of our principal head office, if you like, is, is here in New Haven yeah. on the exotically named <laughs> Denton Island. <laughs> it's very exotic, it is. <laughs> um, and so how many properties have you, did you say you've got 16 properties that you've, that you've, that you let out and you rented yeah so from our kind of rental yeah. uh, division um charles cott's capital limited so that has about 16 properties okay. which are all all of them bar maybe a handful are dilapidated or were dilapidated yeah. or distressed properties or whatever or ones with short leases that you couldn't get mortgages on um and we've basically purchased those um okay we're not scared of buying leasehold property obviously that's yeah. what we do here yeah. if we were then what we're doing exactly. here. yeah yeah goes against <laughs> um, so we buy a lot of leasehold property with short leases and things like that um okay. and, and then we would rent back through to the council really so, okay yeah okay so those are the three key services that you do so it's the it's the block management um the, the, the doing up the properties yeah and um right to manage yeah yeah. So, yeah, so alongside all of the sort of surveying and the uh, block management and the rest of it, we can actually help people um, take control of their building. So the enfranchisement process that I referred to at the beginning, that yeah. actually costs money because you're actually offering to buy the freehold off of the freeholder. Okay. So there is a value attached to that, and mm. it's not for everybody. And if everybody doesn't join in, then, of course, the value goes up. Yeah. If you've got 10 people and only seven of them can join in, the value it's worth doesn't change, but yeah. the seven people have got to find that. Sure, yeah. So the legislation changed um, and it allows leaseholders to serve a notice on the freeholder saying that they would like the right to manage their building themselves. Obviously, they don't actually physically have to manage it themselves. They can mm. appoint an agent like ourselves, mm. but it takes away from the freeholder the right to choose the managing agent or okay. the managing them. Normally, that's because um, the building's got into a bit of a dilapidated state because yeah. ultimately it's your asset, your 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 flat that you've owned. So, yeah. you know, you've got an invested interest to make sure the building's repaired and maintained properly, and the freeholder may be might be in breach of their obligations but not interested in dealing with that Mm. so it's a it's a good tool for that reason people often do do right to manage because this freeholder sort of says oh we need a new roof which they do need a new roof and here's the quote and they don't like the quote (laughs) um often people do it on the basis that once they've got the right to manage they then kind of don't have to pay the bill but actually the roof hasn't repaired itself so it's kind of quite difficult Uh, you have to 
indulge down as to what people really why they really want to do the right to manage and if it's literally just because they don't want to pay a big bill well the roof is not going to repair itself no so, sure yeah um but then that incomes you know creativeness as well because they might be able to talk to the freeholder and maybe sell the roof space to a developer okay. to build flats on it yeah right and then they don't not paying out for the roof space so the, mm. the legislation has changed quite a lot in the last few years about building on top of airspace essentially yeah. so it's much more open to people now okay. um, and so you know our job is to kind of find a solution for people and yeah. work with them to to get what they need out of it without kind of you know crippling them along yeah. the way <laughs> there's so many ins and outs isn't there and there's so many rules and um um, legalities that you probably have to follow which um, which you, you probably have to spend a lot of time researching I would have thought and keeping on top of yeah definitely uh, yeah. Um, a lot of the uh, legislative stuff has changed since Grenville obviously yeah. it's very sad um, but you know since then um, there's been new fire regulation acts so they came into force in 2022 okay. um, the original acts actually came into force in 2006 and that's when you first had to get a fire risk assessment but like most things when the legislation comes out and he's kind of tidying yeah. up and rounding off and they spent a long time doing that mm. um, fast forward to 2022 it's all come in now and it's all to do with heights of buildings yeah. fire doors regular checks and so on so there's a lot more onerous than it used to be mm. And we are seeing a lot more self-managed buildings come to us and say, look, we just can't cope with the volume of work and understanding of it all. Mm. Um, that compounded with a couple of our competitors have been purchased by larger firms and okay. they haven't made a very good transition. So we've had a kind of influx of new clients, if you like, mm. um, from those two events. Okay. Yeah, right. Um You've got so much knowledge and, um, you know, you're very passionate about it. You've got such a great business, which is growing and growing. It's very impressive. Um, if anyone out there wants any help with, with property management, block management, um, buying properties, yeah. that sort of thing, or selling so you can help with them, um, then please get in touch with Matt. I was going to say Charles then, but I meant yeah. Matt. Um, all his details, <laughs> no, sure. uh, all his details are on the Brilliant Businesses website and uh, you can get in touch with Matt by, by, via the website and we'll just, just ring yeah. up the offices. Is that, that's right? Yeah, that's so, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So website's pretty simple. Just yeah. www.charlescox.co.uk. Excellent. We got in that one early. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well um, all yeah. the details are on there for everyone. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you, if you need any services at all along those lines, then uh, we're more than happy to help even. Excellent. if it's just bending our ear initially and then uh, we can give you some guidance and yeah. then and you can make your educated decision on that excellent excellent yeah. and thank you for asking me in um to, to do the podcast it was great to see you yeah you're uh, welcome no yeah. it's great to see you too okay we'll see you for another podcast soon thanks very much yeah, thank Cheers. You. Bye.